Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Becoming Chiron, the key to healing and personal alchemy with your hostess, me, Ursula Duffy. And today is Monday, July 18th. It's about 2.37 p.m. in the afternoon here in Atlantic City on the East Coast. And today we're going to talk about astrology. Last episode, we did truth and facts about aromatherapy. And today we're going to talk some truth and facts about astrology. But first, as we've been doing, we're going to do a little astro weather check. And we're coming off, still I feel, of that extremely incredibly intense Capricorn full moon that we had last week on Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon here on the East Coast. And that full moon was particularly intense for a number of reasons, but the two that I want to kind of discuss in my little brief chat about that at the moment is, one, it was square to Chiron, and of course we have to address that in, you know, the name of this podcast and everything that I'm talking about always relates back to Chiron, but also because it was fairly conjunct or close to the planet Pluto. So what I want to do, I want to do something a little different this time. And I wrote some full moon affirmations for an event that we did last week. And I'm just going to read those to you and let that kind of marinate in the energy that we're still kind of coming off of. The moon is now waning through the sign of Aries, we're coming up on the final quarter square. So the energy is still kind of intense. The moon's going to go past Chiron while it's waning through Aries. So we still have that Chiron energy available to us in this lunar cycle at the moment. So I feel it's important to just sort of put it in a different kind of context than I usually do. So here are the affirmations that I wrote for the full moon last week. I honor the light and the dark within myself. My deepest wounds are my greatest teachers. My personal healing journey is beautiful and unique. I give myself permission to feel and release my deepest emotions. Shadows can only be seen with light. I am intuitive, beautiful, and resourceful. I let go of anyone and anything holding power over me. I am a sovereign, sentient being. Vulnerability is an opportunity to reveal or to revel, sorry, in my softness. I nurture, mother, and heal myself. I love myself unconditionally. I find release and balance, harmony and beauty. I am vibrant, whole, confident, and always growing. So I wanna let those steep for a moment. You can always kind of rewind and go back to each one. See how it feels in your body. See how it affects you. See how it relates to the energy that maybe you felt last week under the full moon and or energy that you're still integrating and feeling now, especially as we're coming up on that last quarter square. And a lot of what I pulled into these affirmations 
was the energy of Pluto, the energy of Chiron, and also the energy of Cancer. We are still technically in Cancer season at the moment. Come a couple other astro weather checks that we just went through. Um, Mercury just hit the midpoint of the cycle with the Kazemi on the other side of the sun. So this is when Mercury has now gone halfway around since the retrograde when the cycle began back in, I believe it was June. And Mercury is now in Cancer, Mercury has been in Cancer, and Venus just entered Cancer as well. So we have a lot of that Cancerian energy. And as the planets have been going through the sign of Cancer, they've been making squares to Chiron and Jupiter and Aries. So a lot of that tension that we can be feeling, a lot of the challenges that are surfacing after the full moon, but also during this Cancer season are coming from those squares. We've talked about squares. Squares create tension that are like threshold experiences that force us to act in some kind of way. We're talking about Cancerian energy in particular. It's nurturing ourselves, but also expressing our emotions in an authentic and mature way. So those are the energies we've been under with the squares, but then also something that's been affecting me personally a lot, which I kind of want to touch on briefly before we get into the astrology discussion, is Uranus conjunct the North Node. So as I've talked about, I am a Taurus rising. So this is happening in the first house of my chart. And it's been extremely intense and taxing on my energy and my body. I just came off of a couple of days where I wasn't feeling well. I've been sleeping 10 to 11 hours a night. I've just been completely exhausted. This is a lot of energy to embody. The other part of this for me personally is I have Chiron, like I said, at 17 degrees of Taurus. So this is the first time in my life that Chiron has, or that Uranus has touched my Chiron. Uranus is eight, at 18 degrees of Taurus now, and my Chiron's at 17, like I said. So it's Chiron speaking, all of this coming to the surface, getting this podcast out. It's all part of this transit for me, catalyzing all of this for me in particular, but also this energy is, it's a lot. The Uranian energy is big. And the fact that the conjunction with the North Node is now one degree away, the North Node's at 19 degrees of Taurus. The way forward is learning how to embody this energy and learning all these Taurus lessons. We also have Mars and Taurus right now at nine degrees. So there's a lot of staying power, but also a lot of energy, Mars and Taurus. And Uranus in Taurus and <laughs> Mars and Uranus coming to a conjunction as well, which only happens once every couple of years. A lot of energy. I actually have a Mars and Uranus conjunction in my own birth chart um, in my seventh house. So this is coming together now as my Uranus opposition is building and this energy is just super intense. So I'm doing my best to honor my body and take advantage of when I'm feeling a lot of energy building up in my body and getting that out by doing things like this, um, but also giving myself rest when I'm really feeling like I need it. And I've just been feeling so depleted. So if, you, if anyone else has Chiron in these degrees of Taurus, and you're also experiencing this, particularly if you're a Taurus rising, I'd love to hear from you. How has this experience been going for you? What's been happening? How is it feeling in your body? How is it relating to your healing journey? I'd love to know all of it. So 
that is what's going on astrologically, collectively, but also for me personally. So I want to shift gears and move into the astrology discussion. I'm going to talk a little bit about it, but I'm mostly going to refer you to a recording that I did. I think it was in early 2020. I have to, I'm not sure of the exact date when I did this, this podcast episode of interview, but it was with Deb Bowen on her podcast called Quest for Connection, which she no longer um, does. But what we did was we went into a pretty much introductory discussion about astrology. And I'm going to refer you to that for a listen, particularly about the facts part of this discussion. I will put a link to that episode in the uh, show notes. It's on my website, on my podcast page. So you can find that there. But I just want to touch a little bit more on my own personal journey with astrology and how, just like with a lot of the other things that I've already talked about, it's been very unconventional. As I talked about in my spiritual reawakening episode, it was very, very much divinely and spiritually guided. I never followed any astrologers in particular. I never had read any books up until that point. It just wasn't a part of my daily life. It wasn't so much in my awareness until the universe you know, dropped it on me pretty much as I described in that episode. So it's important, I think, to convey why I feel that journey for me in particular is really important. Because I went into this field, eventually becoming a professional, with really no preconceived notions. And I think that that's a really important, I kind of call it like I was a clean slate. But I've always had this awareness and this connection to the cosmos. Whenever I go outside, the first thing I do is I look up. I've always done that my entire life. I've always seen and been blessed to have seen shooting stars. Just look up and there's, there's a shooting star. I've always had this connection to the stars and the moon and the planets, all of it, my entire life. So I think the biggest takeaway is the importance that to have an awareness that this consciousness of the universe is inside of all of us. And when we're looking up at the sky, we're, we're looking at consciousness to an extent. And I, on a soul level, as we come in, when we incarnate, we kind of pass through all of it to get here on this earth plane. So each planet, each star, all of it is inside of us. And I think that's really important to note because a lot of the times with astrology, we look outward for answers. But really, the answers are already within. And that connection that I'm talking about that was always there was just waiting to really be ignited and awakened within me. But like, I'm named after the Dippers. My name, Ursula, partly comes from Ursa Major and Ursa Minor. That was where my mom kind of was coming from in my name. And then my dad loved the actress Ursula Andress. So they kind of had a common ground on my name before I was born. But we're born of the cosmos. We're born of the stars. Our consciousness lies there. And this Earth School 
lifetime is, you know, our, our chart is our lesson plan for this lifetime. You can look at it plain and simple, just like that. It's our soul. I call it our soul's fingerprint or blueprint, but it really is our lesson plan. And our jobs here, I feel to a big extent are to learn about that and to learn how to get to the highest vibration expression of it. And I feel like every time I get to work with somebody that is my job and that's my intention is to show them the way to the highest vibration embodiment and expression of their birth chart. Astrology by definition is the ancient study of time and light. And there are many different layers that we're talking about when we talk about time and light. And I feel that it's important to have that self-awareness and know what the consciousness of each planet and star is inside of us and what it what it's teaching us what we're here to learn astrology very much is the language of myth and the language of archetypes and multi-dimensional and multivalent symbols and a lot of times we get I, I feel a little bit caught up in just rather than feeling into it what other people's definitions are. And whenever I sit with somebody, I do my best to spend a good amount of time with the chart ahead of time. I usually prepare the chart the night before I do a reading. I dream on it, I intuit, and I let that person's soul really speak to me. And that's how I work with it. So one of the other things that I feel is really important is to just fall in love with the mystery to an extent. I mean, we can glean and get a lot of information from our charts and from the meetings and definitions and horary astrology and Hellenistic astrology and knowing definitions and basic interpretations I feel are very important also, but they have their place. And a lot of the people that I was in my apprenticeship program with and that I've come in touch with and have met on paths along the way had have had horrible experiences with astrologers because I feel like to a very big degree in this field, there's a, an arrogance or a sense of, I don't know, being more in tune or more knowledgeable or something over other people just because of the study or the psychology behind it or working with people and feeling like you know more than them because you've seen their birth chart. And that's just so unethical and wrong. And it pained me every time I heard a story from somebody that I encountered or was in my apprenticeship program with that had a horrible experience and worked with somebody that told them something awful and unethical and totally crossed boundaries that never should have been crossed. And that's one thing I want to talk about now is the, so I think I've mentioned before the first book that I ever read was The Inner Sky by Stephen Forrest. There are many astrologers that I've come in contact with or, you know, became familiar with their work and that kind of thing. And there are many that I still hold in high regard. Stephen's one of them. And there are many that I just haven't continued along with as far as being in touch with their work. And there's many reasons behind that, but a lot of it is what I just discussed. 
unethical, being unethical. So I pull a lot from the inner sky in my work. I recommend that book to a lot of people. But one of the things that I feel, actually two things that I just want to touch on that are really important to me. One is one of my favorite quotes about astrology from the inner sky. And it's this, it's the relationship between astrology and astronomy, which Stephen goes into in his book, which I feel is also very important because they're both very important and completely interrelated and integral arts and sciences. So Stephen says, astronomers seek to know the form of the heavens while astrologers pursue their meaning. Astrology is the poetry of astronomy. It is not so much a study of structure as of significance, not what the sky is, but what it says to us. And that I feel encapsulates falling in love with the mystery and falling in love with what the universe is really trying to tell us in our consciousness and just in looking up and like I always have my tagline on my website, one is live in touch with your soul and the other one is looking up in awe and wonder. And personally, I'm always looking up in awe and wonder. And one of the other things that I've adopted as my own personal code of ethics, and I'm gonna go through each one of these as I feel it's important, are the seven principles from the inner sky. And these are, as Stephen describes, seven fundamental ideas that form the backbone of any growth-oriented vision of astrology. Any individual or text that diverges very far from them is probably more part of astrology's bad karma than part of its future. So number one from the inner sky of the seven principles, astrological symbols are neutral. There are no good ones, no bad ones. Number two, individuals are responsible for the way they embody their birth charts. No astrologer can determine a person's level of response to his birth chart from that birth chart alone. That was number three. Number four, the birth chart is a blueprint for the happiest, most fulfilling, most spiritually created path of growth available to the individual. Number five, all deviations from the ideal growth pattern symbolized by the birth chart are unstable states, usually accompanied by a sense of aimlessness, emptiness, and anxiety. Astrology recognizes only two absolutes, the irreducible mystery of life and the uniqueness of each individual viewpoint on that mystery. That was number six. Number seven. Astrology suffers when wedded too closely to any philosophy or religion. Nothing in the system matters except the intensification of a person's self-awareness. And all of those principles, when I read them for the first time, they resonated so deeply with me. And this is another part of this. Having integrity and the fundamentals of doing no harm as a professional astrologer. Extremely important. Extremely important. 
it's almost like the Hippocratic Oath to me. I put the same amount of stock and value in doing no harm as an astrologer and also as a medical professional. Because with this practice, we're working with people's soul, which is and should always be considered a gift and an absolute honor to sit with somebody in this way, but also psychology. And a lot of harm can be done if you say the wrong thing. And if you don't hold yourself to a specific set of ethics or a code of ethics. And the other part of it too is the whole, the whole industry doesn't have an ethics. Well, I think that's in the works. It might still be in the works. I haven't really followed up on some of the discussions that have been started, but there's no ethics board. There's no, you know, slap on the wrist or fist or whatever by anybody if somebody does actually do harm with the exception of the community coming out against somebody, which has also happened. I feel that integrity, honesty, and ethics, again, are extremely important to me personally, and also through the lens if you're somebody seeking, working with somebody, those are things that I feel should be at your forefront in making the decision of who to work with. Those are the main things I wanted to touch on. And then also too, just some of the things that get, like people are, people are out there and they just make shit up. I've seen some of the things I've seen in some of the interviews I've listened to, I, I just don't understand where people are coming from. I um, firmly believe that a lot of the things that are stereotypical are just not true. Like that if you're a Scorpio, you're an asshole and intense, like, yeah, that can be an expression of it, but that's not something that you should just automatically think when you hear the word Scorpio. You should think more, this person is deeply emotional and, and has a high capacity and ability for transformation. Or if you're a Gemini or two-faced, yeah, it can express like that, but that's also a stereotype. If you're a Taurus, you're stubborn, also a stereotype. Lots and lots of stereotypes have been created that I feel give a lot of things a bad rap and just contribute to the utter misinterpretation. And like I said, some people just out there making shit up. So where does anybody have a basis of truth and reality in something if that's kind of the mainstream approach? And I have a really, I have a problem with that, especially coming at this from the way that I was guided to it and led to it and not having those preconceived notions and hearing those things after the fact, like, what? That doesn't make any sense. So I know I've been on a bit of a soapbox today, but I feel uh, as strongly about this as I do about safe and effective use of aromatherapy. And these are the two things and my two passions in life that I've been so divinely guided to and feel like it's part of my mission here and my own healing journey to right the wrongs and work with people in the way that they should be worked with when looking at somebody's chart and pulling in the honor and the respect and the gratitude of even getting to have these sets of symbols in front of me 
and bringing this down to life and reality in such a way that I think, like I said in my first episode, sharing the lived experience, I feel, is one of the most important parts. I have this really cool Black Moon Astrology Oracle deck that was gifted to me. And while I was talking, I was shuffling and pulling a card for all of us to do kind of a collective reading at the end of this episode today. And the card that I pulled was Venus, which is perfect. And the words on the card from this deck for Venus are just Venus, love, and it's the number four. So I'm going to turn to that page, and read you a little bit about the card. So from the guidebook for the card, it says, love is my religion and I could die for that. And it's a quote by John Keats. And the way that I work with Venus, Venus is my chart ruler as I'm a Taurus rising. And I've had a lot of Venusian lessons in my life. I have several placements in Libra as well. And my Venus is in Virgo, which is said where Venus, well, is where Venus is said to be in fall because she's exalted, said to be exalted in the sign of Pisces. So opposite that, it's fall. Fall is a terrible word for it, but whatever. It's just a different way the planet functions. Um, one of the things I've read about Venus and Virgo is being idealistic in relationships. And I find that very true. I can also be, with a lot of Virgo energy, comes perfectionist tendencies and that kind of thing. Just learning how to soften in my relationships has been a big lesson throughout my life. And definitely I find with stelliums, as I believe I've mentioned before, it's really more about learning the opposite sign. So I have three placements in Virgo, Venus, my moon, and Jupiter. Jupiter also not so happy in the sign of Virgo. So a lot of my life lessons have come from embracing more of the Piscean energy and learning how to let go and learning how to live in the moment and learning how to not be ju as judgmental and you know strict and hard about things and taking things as they come rather than always having the need to analyze things, which you know I embrace those Virgo parts of me. But again, for me and for everybody, it's learning about the highest expression and the higher vibration and understanding that clusters on one side of the chart are really there to teach you about one, just in general, the opposite signs, but also the oppositions as planets go through and things aspect your natal planets. That's how I work with it. So with Venus, I've done a lot of work with Venus, a lot and lot of work with Venus and learning that divine love and that divine expression of love and that maternal energy and just you know, the goddess energy and all of it. And also too, just to reiterate that she just moved into the sign of cancer. So that's also pretty cool. I feel like Venus and cancer has a very sweet, a lot of sweetness, but also a lot of protective energy of oneself, but also others. So I'm gonna read a little bit from what the card says. And it's very fitting as well because Venus is still in her morning star phase. So this says, the Venus card says to let love take care of it for now. Venus is the morning star and the brightest of the planets. It is the planet of beauty and balance, 
and is named after the goddess of love and romance, which is what the planet rules. In Scandinavian lands, the equivalent of the Roman goddess Venus is Freya. Among the Greeks, she was Aphrodite. Venereal disease is named for Venus. After all, she charms and seduces. She was once associated with Lucifer, who was not a demon, but an angel of light who fell to the earth plane from the heavens. In reality, the part of the astrological chart Venus rules is where we want the good life, where we desire ease and comfort, sweets and kisses, where we want to see beautiful, be beautiful, and smell beautiful. Venus co-rules the signs of Libra and Taurus, but the energies function differently in these signs. In Libra, Venus works best in the fields of beauty, social balance, and romantic love. While in Taurus, Venus stands for creature comforts and accumulating fineries. In both signs, Venus is very partner-oriented. There is a great need to unite which, with another when the Venus card presents itself. This can bring on codependency and fears of going it alone. Both Libra and Taurus are signs best supported in some form of partnership, but it does not necessarily have to be romantic or a marriage. Venus is the lesser Neptune. Love, romance, and art are her domains, yet she doesn't get lost in them and lose her practical side. In fact, Venus is the planet of fashion, luxuries, balance, symmetry, artistic ability, and sugary foods, and she prefers to overlook the ugliness of the world. Buying objects that are beautiful, unnecessary, or excessive may come into play when this card is drawn. So be careful of wasting funds on items just because you want them. You may feel compelled to buy something beyond your budget because you think it's beautiful while you really don't need it. On the other hand, you may be attracting these very things on your own. Venus also rules money, especially money shared in a partnership or marriage. But this can be a business enterprise as well. Money worries should find resolution. Art, hair salons, restaurants, movies, concerts, dance recitals, craft shows, cosmetics, and fashion may figure in. You may be dealing with artists or people who work in the arts. You may discover a more creative and artistic side to yourself. Venus is also the most humane and fair of the planets. So you may be asked or feel compelled to settle a dispute. Courts, law, and judgments may factor in. But more than this, this card indicates either a new love coming into your life or the improvement or a new start for an older love relationship. So when the Venus card presents itself in a reading, the first thing to focus on is romance and love, but after that, creativity and refinement. You can be assured you are found very attractive at the present time 
and may be the subject of some advances. If so, romance becomes playful, even childlike. It is time for full heart blessings. If a relationship begins, it will have more of a sense of contentment and happiness to it, unless the Saturn card comes up in the spread. <laughs> and if so, the love will seem cold or restrictive. Venus is the planet of charmers, so you may want to pour on the charm in any situation. There is a tendency to become more socially engaging. At this time, people will generally be sweeter, more helpful, and amenable. It is a good period to smooth ruffled feathers or make peace with others. Using diplomacy will serve you momentously at this time. So Venus also corresponds to the Empress card in the Tarot. And the key ideas listed here in the book for this card are comforts, love, beauty, eating, sensing, relating, and expensive purchases. So I feel that card right now is extremely important, especially the way that it touched on the importance of finances and especially with everything happening in, in nationally and worldwide right now. <sighs> Cancerian energy relates a lot to our basic needs because that what the, that's what the moon relates to. The moon rules the sign of cancer. And Venus also relates very much to our basic needs and our values. One of the key takeaways in my experience learning about Venus, just in my own connection, but also in my studies, is that she's described as the planet, the planet that rules over our connection. Connection is also key in this description to everything that we love and value in our lives. And I find that one of the best ways to connect with a planet is in its presence and visually. And Venus is still visible right now in the morning sky before dawn. There's actually a whole lineup of planets and you'll see the, the waning crescent moon there as well lumped in right now. You can see Saturn, I'm going kind of in order, in order of from kind of up to down. So Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, and the moon will be in there in the next couple of days, depending on when you go look at it, if you can. Mercury is now shifting to the evening sky past the midpoint of the cycle, so Mercury is no longer visible in the morning. But I feel like it's important if you can get your ass out of bed before sunrise, I know it's still pretty early here, to just connect and commune with the planets in that way. Um, the invisible ones that are there also are Chiron and Uranus. And just see what kind of downloads you get if you start connecting with the planet in that way. But very fitting card for us and for the discussion that we're talking about and just my own context with it and Venus being my ruling planet. I feel like that comes into play a lot. And the topic for the next show has also already come to me and I'm going to go really deep into the Uranus opposition as I am in the thick of it. I've been in and on steroids as I've described with Uranus going through my first house while this is all kind of building. So I wanna talk about some of the lessons involved with being a Taurus rising and having that be a huge part of this experience for me. 
And I'll also touch on an article that I wrote about it. It was actually the first um, article that I've ever gotten published in a magazine. So we're going to talk about that next time. But in the meantime, please go back if you uh, are called to listen to that Quest for Connection episode that I did all about the fundamentals and the, the facts part of astrology. And if you haven't ever read the book, The Inner Sky, I highly recommend it or any of Stephen's work. His, the way that he writes is just beautiful. And I feel like we see very eye to eye on astrology in general, but also being an astrologer and the practice of astrology and interpretations to an extent. He's a great teacher. And as I've said before, I'm available for birth chart readings and aromatherapy and also astrological aromatherapy consults. You can find me on ursaalchemy.com, which is my blog is still up on there and all the podcast interviews and my homepage and important links that are there. But also primarily my store is now completely moved to seagoddesshealingarts.com and I'll put those links in the, in the notes as well. And you'll see them come up if you're watching this on YouTube. So I'm going to end it here for now. And we'll talk a lot about, a lot more about Chiron and Uranus next time. And just some key takeaways it are just this whole, you know, how astrology came to me and that being part of my Chiron and my healing journey. It may not be the same for you, but I think that it's important to stay in the highest vibration as possible with everything and always knowing that there's a shadow side and being having that awareness as well is extremely important so that's it for today thank you for joining me if you listen to this thank you for listening you know what to do if you want to show me some love you know how to i'm sure at this point if you've listened to podcasts give some stars reach out to me like i said if you have chiron and taurus especially around 17 18 degrees very curious how you're Uranus transit is going with that. And as always, as I end, remember to be a maverick. Thanks for listening.